We're preaching this morning a message titled, For Heaven's Sake. In the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, we find these words of Jesus that are so very easy to comprehend. They're not theologically difficult to understand. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There is in the 21st verse of Luke 12 that little statement, so is he who lays up treasure for himself. That's the first possibility, to do it for yourself. But the second Possibility is in verse 33, where it says, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. And that's the possibility that we're really interested in today. Something that does not fail, something that does not fade, something that thieves cannot get through and take. And notice it is a direct command of our Lord. It's not an option with Jesus. It's a command. Do not lay up. For yourselves, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Years ago, you may remember that the Associated Press and others were informing us about the new horizons in space travel. And I put in my file one quote from the field of astronautics which the Associated Press reported, and it was this line, we are going to kill a lot of men in our race to the moon. It also reported that there was a request for a multi-million dollar outlay and for men who would be willing to lay their lives on the line. There were no bargain rates. It was risky and it was costly. It's interesting that there were long lines. People waiting to get involved in that new frontier. And it has cost billions of dollars and it has cost numbers of lives. It is fascinating to compare the price tag attached to getting men to heaven. Willingness to pay and die have always been necessary requisites. Paul accepted the challenge when he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will gladly spend, and you could add all that I have, I will gladly spend it, and be spent all that I am for you. As he wrote to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the challenge of Jesus to his disciples and to his followers in these verses that we have been privileged to read together today. Getting men to the moon has been costly business. Getting men to heaven has been costly business. And it remains costly to this very moment. Years ago, I came across a sentence sermon that I have put on the board outside and we have published, but I want to share it again because it's where my title comes from today, and it was this little sermon. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? I want you to think about that today. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? 
I want to share with you what a man wrote some years ago, and I cannot do it without just reading it verbatim. I dreamed that I was in the celestial city, though when and how I got there I could not tell. I was one of a great multitude from all countries and peoples and times and ages. Somehow I found that the one next to me had been there more than 1,800 years. Who are you, I asked. I was a Roman Christian, and I lived in the days of the Apostle Paul. I was one of those who died in Nero's persecutions. I was covered with pitch and fastened to a stake and set on fire to illuminate the emperor's garden. How awful, I exclaimed. No, he answered, I was glad to do something for him who died on the cross for me. The man on the other side of me then spoke. I have been in heaven only a few hundred years. I came from an island in the South Seas, Aramonga. John Williams, a missionary, came and told me of Christ, and I, too, learned to love him. My fellow countrymen killed the missionary, and they caught and bound me. I was beaten until I fainted, and they thought I was dead. But I revived. The next day they cooked and ate me. How terrible, I said. No, he replied, I was glad to die as a Christian. You see, the missionaries had told me that Jesus was scourged and crowned with thorns for me. Then they both turned to me and said, What did you suffer for him? Or did you sell what you had for the money which sent men like John Williams to tell the heathen about the Savior? I was speechless, and while they were both looking at me with sorrowful eyes, I awoke. It was a dream. A dream, yes, but yet realistically a dream. Because in that little dream, there is the essence of what Jesus said in Matthew and in Luke. And which brings me to this pulpit today to ask you, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? In one paragraph of this little narrative, this whole thing is summed up when they turned to him and said, what did you suffer for him? Or did you sell what you had for the money which sent men like John Williams to tell the heathen about the Savior? The two elements of our text are there. We're going to deal with two expendables today, for heaven's sake, the expendability of person and the expendability of finance. Try as you might, you cannot find any other elements that are necessary for this church and for each of us as individuals to reach out to this world. These are the two elements that the Bible clearly dictates as necessities for all of us to be willing to enter into. First, the expendability of person. 
we have two things, Christ's warning and Christ's example. First of all, his warning. It comes from Matthew 10, 38 and 39, where he talks about losses and crosses. And we're not real excited about this part of the gospel record, but it's there and it is vital. Losses and crosses. He said, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The great paradox of Scripture. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. And then the Bible goes on to illustrate how this worked. Stephen, the layman of Acts chapter 7, laid down his life for the cause of Christ, stoned to death outside the city wall. Every time I go to Jerusalem, I want to go to that gate, one of eight gates that surrounds the city, St. Stephen's Gate, it's called. And I love to stand outside of the gate and think about the death of Stephen and how when he looked up to heaven, the heavens opened and he saw the Son of Man standing, not sitting, but standing at the right hand of God, receiving Stephen's spirit into the heavenlies as he gave his life. He was expendable for Christ's sake, the first martyr of the early church. There was James in Acts 12, the brother of John, who was killed by Herod's sword, perhaps beheaded, Peter, Quovada says, was crucified upside down because he did not feel he was worthy to be crucified as his Lord. Paul, who in the letters he wrote to Timothy, the last letters he wrote, said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, and not unto me only, but to all of those that love his appearing. And the guillotine fell, and Paul's head was removed from his body, but he went into the presence of God because even Paul was an expendable person for the cause of Jesus Christ. We have also Thomas, thrust through with a spear, the one who doubted the Lord, but after the resurrection fell at his feet and cried, my Lord and my God, and never turned back, thrust through with a spear. Even Thomas was expendable. John, the beloved disciple, is the only apostle who escaped violent death, although it was affirmed that he was cast into a cauldron of boiling oil, but escaped by a miracle without injury. And because it seemed they couldn't kill this old man, they decided to put him on an isle called Patmos. Get him out of the way. He is a disturbing person. And so they shut him away alone on the Isle of Patmos, but don't we understand that you are never away from God's presence? The devil thought this would be a good scheme. Get rid of John this way. If we can't boil him in oil, 
we'll just send him out where he can't do anybody any harm. And out there where the devil thought he could do no one any harm, revelations of the Lord came to him, and the last book in the Bible was given when John was exiled on the isle called Patmos, the most wonderful book of revelation about Jesus Christ and the future that has ever been given. And it was given when John was shut away. Expendable, yet used. All held their lives to be expendable. Revelation 12, 11 says they loved their lives, loved not their lives unto the death. Christ's example follows these. He said to his disciples, I must suffer many things. He said, I must be killed and I will be raised again the third day. And how did they respond? Peter said, it's unthinkable, Lord. Be it far from you, this shall not be. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus responds to Peter and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Strong lesson here. Even Peter responded abruptly to the idea that there would be suffering and that there could be death involved in this kingdom work of our Lord. But Jesus said, it must be. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then it is well in Matthew 16 to look at verse 26, following the interchange between Peter and Jesus. Jesus said this, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world, but lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We are expendable, friends, if we're to gain that which will last for eternity. The cynics have cried through the years, what a waste, what a waste. They said that in 1956 when five young Alka missionaries died at the riverbank with spears in their backs, their blood flowing down that river. I remember it well. I had just entered the full-time ministry. I had just finished my training. Randy had just been born. He was just a matter of days old when the headlines of the papers cried, What a waste! Five talented young men Die in Alka land, but friends, was it a waste? Time proves things often differently than we sometimes perceive them. Now, all of these years later, the wives of these missionaries, Elizabeth, Elliot, Nate Saint's wife, they have gone back to the Alkas. Those Alkas have been converted to Jesus. And the men that put the spears in the backs of those five young missionaries, gifted, yes, but expendable for the cause of Christ, those men are now the leaders of the Alka church that bears the name of Jesus Christ and bows at the foot of the old rugged cross. What a waste. We have misinterpreted the gospel. Every Christian is a missionary 
and every missionary a potential martyr. Martyr blood has stained many places, and as far as I can tell, that will not change until Jesus comes. We have just been blessed to be raised in this society, in this great land of freedom, but friends, we cannot take it for granted. We have to decide, is Jesus Lord? Is He the first priority of my life? And if He is, there may be days when we're going to have to make some serious decisions about what our future will hold. We are expendable according to the Scripture. Eddie Rickenbacker said, I have never liked to use the word safe in connection with Eastern Airlines or the entire transportation field. I prefer the word reliable. For whenever motion is involved, there can be no condition of absolute safety. The only time man is safe is when he is completely static in a box underground. He had a point. And you know the church is not static. The church is an organism, not an organization. The church is on the move. The church is energy. And whenever you get involved in motion, you are involved in something that could be unsafe, reliable, but risky. And I like that part of this work. It's risky. But how exciting to see those risks pay off in eternal dividends. People who surrender their sins to Jesus, whose lives are changed all around the world because we are willing to give ourselves to that risk. Are you an expendable person? That's where the gospel begins. Be willing to take up your cross and follow him daily. Now the second expendability a lot of folk don't like to hear. It's the expendability of finance. But Jesus talks a great deal about finance in the Gospels. And in these passages we have read, he simply lumps everything up into the word treasure, things, belongings. Lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth. And in that passage in Matthew, Jesus gives us those familiar words, words that have been quoted over and over and over again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why people have trouble with the offering. That's why they have trouble with the tithe, a tenth to the Lord. That's why they have trouble when the minister asks for a faith promise offering. What will you do above the tithe as a demonstration to the world of your concern and your love out of the things that you have been blessed with? What will you do for others? They have trouble with it because of what Jesus said, where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. And because their heart is in the things of this life and the things of this world and not in the things of eternity, it makes it difficult. But when your heart is in it, it's easy. It's a blessing. And notice, please, 
that Jesus talks about treasure and the Lord's return. He links them together. He says, He's coming in an hour when you think not. Therefore, be ready. How are you ready? Not only by repenting of your sins according to the Scripture, but you're ready by helping the work of God around the world, having your heart in that which is eternal, not in that which is temporary. It's all tied together. This passage in Luke 12 talks about selling what we have for a treasure in the heavens that fails not. Our life is His. Our possessions are His. Now, I know how we say it. Let me take you in my car. Why don't you come to my house? Let me show you my new painting. This is my new suit, my new dress. We use the term all the time. This is mine. Jesus is saying, none of it is yours. If it's yours, you are laying up treasures in heaven. The suit could be ripped off in a moment. The bank account could be depleted overnight. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. The frailty of things is what Jesus is trying to get through to us. The Chicago Fire of 1871 is an example I read where over a 20-year period they had put $250 million into developing that downtown area of Chicago and because of a cow it went up in a day. $250 million, 20 years of sweat, gone in a day. I was rather amused reading about Isaac Newton, the great English physicist, mathematician, and philosopher who derived the law of gravitation and formulated the laws of motion. He had a dog by the name of Spot. And Spot one day tore to pieces a manuscript that Isaac Newton had worked on for a quarter of his life. A dog teaching us that it is wrong to worship our fine reputations or our large house or our accumulation of money and goods because a dog by the name of Spot could remove it in a spot. Many a fool has worshipped his business, his office, his accumulation of goods only to see it all disappear. Have you ever watched the faces of those when they come on the news, especially down in the Beverly Hills area when those fires sweep through there as they stand and look at all that they possess go up in smoke? It's like the painter I read about who was asked to paint a fresco on the top of a huge building. He was so good. They wanted his talent and his ability, and he was on the scaffold, and he was finishing it up. Forget, he forgot where he was momentarily because of the beauty and the interest in the fresco, and he stepped back to get a better look at the great work he had done. 
and he plummeted to the sidewalk below, broken in pieces. It's emblematic of a lot of us who stand back to admire our work. It's kind of like Nebuchadnezzar who stood and looked over Babylon even after the great warning he had been given. And he said, is not this the great Babylon that I have built? And God drove him to the fields for seven years. Things. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, somebody has said, and how true it is. I have said it before. Let me say it again. I have conducted hundreds of funerals in my 34 years of ministry, and I have yet to see a U-Haul trailer behind the hearse on the way to the cemetery. I have yet to see in an open casket a checkbook on anybody's chest. Nobody takes it with them. The only thing you take with you is a life lived for God and treasure that is sent on ahead. It's the only money you'll ever see again, the money you give to God that has reached people for eternity. When it comes to picking up the check for God's great work, many have a slight reach impediment. We talk about speech impediment a lot, but in the church and in our world, there's a slight reach impediment when it comes to picking up the check for God's work. God wants to heal that. God wants to extend our arm to bless mankind. That's what this week is all about. That's what this schedule is all about. And if you want to test yourself as to your expendability, see how you feel about 5.30 tonight when the Holy Spirit says, go to church, and your body says, oh, you need this time in the lazy bowl. The Dallas Cowboys are playing the 49ers tonight on television. You need that. That's how you can test your understanding of this message I'm preaching to you because you have to take yourself constantly by the nap of the neck and say, I'm going to get up for Jesus' sake and do this. I am expendable. It will happen for the singles tomorrow night and on through the week when your body says one thing and your spirit is crying out for something else. Listen to God's Spirit. What are you doing for heaven's sake? Is your life expendable? Is your finance expendable? You can walk out of this building today just as tight as you walked in, just as locked up in yourself as you want to be. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stands here today to say to you, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. It will be eaten up by moths, corrupted by rust, stolen by thieves. I give you a better way. Be expendable for Him and let your finance be used to reach this world for Christ. You will have treasure in heaven. It is for heaven's sake. Bob Moorhead, pastor of Overlake Christian Church in Kirkland, Washington, recently wrote this called the church's declaration to Satan. I want it to be our statement during this missions week. Satan, listen up, listen now, listen long, and listen well. We're the church of the living God. 
were bought with blood, charged with power, married to Jesus, indwelt with his spirit, immune from destruction and destined for victory. We won't fear your foolish foibles, run from your roaring, fold under your fire, be vulnerable to your vehemence, be scattered by your schemes, be derailed by your deceptions or lulled by your lies, buckle under your barking or acquiesce under your attacks, or be scared by your subtlety. We're part of the company of the committed, the crowd of the covenant, the congregation of the courageous, and a crew of the commissioned. We're a fellowship of the faithful, the battalion of believers, the regiment of the redeemed, the division of the devoted, the army of the approved, the team of the triumphant, the lot of the lords, the platoon of the powerful, and the vestige of the victorious. We're not here to dread the war, plan the war, study the war, evaluate the war, or discuss the war. We came to win the war. Satan, the clock is running out for you. We await our rapture, but your rupture our consummation but your condemnation, our reign but your ruin, our victory and your vagrancy, our success and your sorrow. You can summon all your hosts, but you'll lose the battle. For he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We're the church of the living God, blood-washed, spirit-filled, battle-scarred, unrelenting and indestructible. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Amen. And amen. We will live for heaven's sake. And we will devote our life and our treasure to impressing this world with the good news that Jesus came to save us and there is no other way to be saved other than through him. Are you plugged in? What on earth? Not in the future. Right now, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Let's pray. Our Father, in Jesus' name, we stand at the brink of a week of emphasis that we are grateful for. And it is our prayer, O oh God, that everybody in this church will get on board and say, you put me here, Lord, not to be selfish, to hoard, to keep, but to give away, to reach out to those who have not been so fortunate as we have been. Let that sink in, Father. Help us to remember these words of Jesus. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And Father, for those who have not received Christ as yet, may this be the day they choose Him as Savior. May they forsake their sin for His salvation. May they turn with all their hearts in these next few moments and embrace the grace of God. And while we are in prayer and heads are bowed, I want to ask how many here in this service this morning would like to respond to the gospel invitation we ask the question many times, if you were to die today and stand before God, what right would you have to say, God, let me into your heaven? You can only get there through what Jesus did. Have you received him? Is he the Lord of your life? If not, 
I'm here to pray for you today because I care about you and I care about your eternal state. I would like you to say, Pastor Cole, I don't believe I'm ready. Should this be my day, I don't believe I'm ready to meet the Lord, but I want to be, and I believe what you've said is true. Jesus is the Savior, and I receive him. Would you raise your hand wherever you are? Let me see it. Hold it up until I see it, then you may put it down. I want to pray for you before this service becomes history. Just lift it up right where you are. Lift it high. Thank you back there. God bless you. They put it down once I've seen the hand over here on my right. Thank you. And way over there on my far right, several hands in that section. Thank you so much. Upstairs, I'm looking for a moment. Up there, raise your hand while I'm looking above. Please do it now. I need Jesus in my life, and I raise my hand. Pray for me, Pastor. I need Jesus. Yes, thank you. Up on the left, I see you up there. God bless you. And on the right also, thank you so much, buddy. God bless you. Now back on the main floor, are there others that I have missed? Yes, back there under the balcony. Thank you. Others, raise them up. I want Jesus in my life. Pray for me. Father, I do pray. I thank you for numbers of hands that have been raised. People who have said by doing that, I need Jesus. Oh, Savior, thank you for loving us like you have done and as you do right now. You've never left us. You will never forsake us. And so you're coming to these now in saving power. Forgive them of their sins. Become real to them. And may they live for you the rest of their days, laying up treasure in heaven. And before we say amen, how many of you would say, Pastor, I've, I've heard the message. I want to devote myself in the way Jesus has challenged me in his word today. I am expendable. The treasure is expendable. Whatever he wants to use, I am willing. Would you raise your hand all over this building? I am willing, Lord. I will listen, Lord. God bless you. Let's stand together, please, all over the sanctuary.